Well, welcome to Behind the Mask, a podcast from Empower Sports Management and a chance to meet the people behind the athletes as we talk to ex and current sports people, hear their stories and hear about the difficulties going from being a professional one day to perhaps not being a professional the next. And I'd like to say our guest today, alongside myself and Mark Kelly, is Zesh Raymond. Uh, Zesh, thanks very much for coming on. No problem. Great to be on here. Well, I guess first of all, just tell us a bit about your early life and how you ended up in football. Um, well, I grew up in Birmingham, so from a young age, um, one of six kids. Grew up playing on the streets in Birmingham, as we did back in the days. You know, good old street football. Played for the school team, district team, county team. And then um, actually quite early on came a massive um, turning point in my life, actually, at the age of nine or ten, to be told that you're never going to make it in the game because of your background and scared of the weather um, and going to like cricket more. So not so nice stereotypes. And then from then, had a couple of trials, didn't quite work out. One at Aston Villa, one at Chelsea. So I'd been released twice by the age of 12. Then we moved to London at the age of just before 13 and I signed for Fulham. So from that moment on, it's an opportunity which I grabbed and I was there from 10 to 22. And then from there, I was fortunate enough to make my debut in the Premier League playing all the leagues and then venture off to Asia for, for a decade and prolong my career out there and make that slow transition into coaching. So in, an, in a nutshell, that's the 20 years in the game. How tough, yeah, it would be tough for someone of any age to, to face that kind of discrimination, but how tough as a 10, 11, 12-year-old to, to be told things like that? Yeah, to be honest, at that age, you don't overthink it. You just want to get back out and play and prove yourself right and try to prove other people wrong. So we didn't really dwell on it, to be honest. Um, probably wasn't old enough to really process the significance of what he said. But um, that's, the, that's the innocence of youth, I guess. We just got back out on the streets and had a go again. How much pride in there for you and your family to become the first British Asian to, to start a Premier League match? Um, it was a mixture of emotions, actually. Um, the motivation all along was bigger than just myself. So the, the whole point, the whole uh, motivation around it was to try to be in a position to inspire people that want to follow you in the journey, in the game, um, from all backgrounds, not just the same background as myself. And obviously it was a nice moment, but you quickly realise in football you need to move on quickly because the game's so cutthroat, so ruthless. You don't really have time to dwell on um, some milestones, if you like. Is it tough being a trailblazer when there aren't people that have necessarily trodden your path that you can, you can go to for, for advice and help? I think it's, um, it would have helped if you had people that you could relate to that could give you inside industry knowledge that would help speed up your processes. But that was the, the, the desire, the motivation to be that person. Then if no one's there, then you know, try to be different, think different. And I think the journey in the game has been somewhat different to what the traditional journey might be. So I think the, the positive mindset was adopted pretty early on. It, it certainly is a journey. You really haven't ever spent anywhere in the same club too long, perhaps maybe other than in Hong Kong at the end. Was that a conscious choice at times or is that just the, the churn of football? I think I was a good old fashioned journeyman, as you call it. <laughs> um, it depends on the situation. So for instance, in my time at Fulham, I had two years left on my contract at a Premier League club, but made the conscious decision 
to leave, to play more games, drop down to the championship to play for QPR. Um, and then my time at Bradford City, it was out of my hands. I had a fallout with the manager. So, you know, and then a couple of times in Asia, it was in my control because I decided to leave for a new challenge. So throughout your timeline and your career, there's different turning points. And majority of the time, you know, when things happen, you're not in control of a lot of those things. So it just comes down to reaction and being surrounded by good people, I guess. You mentioned the Bradford. I think that falling out came after some comments for you in a, a BBC local radio interview. How do you kind of reflect back on that, that incident in, in your career? Uh, maybe a little bit of immaturity at the time, maybe shot from the hip when I should have just processed it a bit more, stayed calmer. But sometimes you learn, you live and you learn. But to be fair with Peter Taylor, we made up, shook hands, moved on, all water under the bridge. How challenging can it be moving around from, from club to club, location, location? I think if you've got a, an open mind and you're prepared to embrace wherever you're going, it really helps. Um, you need to adapt to different cultures, different foods, different people, different mentality, style of football, weather, all of these kind of things. But I think you've got a good um, support network. You know, it can help add a good, good support in understanding family, wife, kids that made it easier for me to embrace that journey. Why do you think so many players, for example, are reluctant to go and play abroad and, and tr try a new culture? It's obviously something that, that didn't scare you. And, and how, how much can that help develop you as a, as a person as well as a profession? First, I think possibly lack of awareness of how big the football world actually is and how many leagues are actually out there, be it in America, in Asia or wherever. Um, you know, and secondly, I don't think they've got the opportunity you know, it's not as simple or straightforward to enter the Asian market or go to the MLS as people might perceive. And from a development perspective, um, from life experiences point of view, you know, I wouldn't change a single minute of it because I think it really helps you to open your mind up to what's out, what else is out there. Because when you grow up in the UK, I think it's fair to say, you know, the Premier League is the best league in the world, but you actually grow up believing there's only four leagues in the whole world <laughs> until you leave. You know, and I quickly realised there's a lot more leagues than just four leagues. How much has having those experiences helped you find yourself as a person that maybe you wouldn't get if you just stayed at one club? Oh, massively, because you have, um, even now, post-playing, you have transferable skills that you might pick up in one environment that can help you adapt to another environment. And ultimately, wherever you go, whatever you do, it's about people, isn't it? You're interacting with people. You know, if you show respect and you're honest with them, and you get that back. So I think, you know, this, uh, sometimes it's good to be thrown out of your comfort zone. You learn things about yourself when, where you might not if you'd stayed in one place. Now, you've played, obviously, England age group, but then you're quite open that, that people of Asian background should be, you know, think about and consider going playing international football for, for the country of their you know, family's origin. And you did that yourself. Um, how was that decision to, to go and play for Pakistan? Firstly, I think if you're born in the UK, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, then by all means, give it absolutely everything to try to represent England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. But if the opportunity doesn't quite happen and you have the option of being a, you know, a dual national or becoming an international elsewhere, then why not explore it? Why not go and play international football? Why not go and test yourself in different countries against different opposition? So I was fortunate that I had that option. But I would definitely advise, first of all, give it your best shot here. You know, 
because you're born here, that should be your first priority, I think. It must have given a lot of pride to, you, to your family, though, to, to go back and play for Pakistan. Yeah, because my parents were born there, so obviously they, they, they enjoyed it back to their roots, if you like. And it was a, a good eye-opener for me because when you are born here and your grandparents are the first generation that come over and your parents are the second generation, you actually start to appreciate some of the struggles that they went through that make it just that little bit easier for you now. So it was a good uh, history lesson, if you like. But obviously, they would have been really proud. And yeah, let's be honest, Pakistan, not, not necessarily a, a powerhouse of, of Asian football, you know, not, not, not been to a World Cup and still, I guess, very much a, a nation trying to develop their, their football side. Yeah, it's fair to say. I think, you know, it's not a secret. It's a cricket-loving nation. Um, hockey is quite popular also. Football is popular, but nowhere near as popular as cricket and hockey. So there's no getting away from that. It's not a, a footballing country, if you like. But the passion for the game is there. But the infrastructure needs a lot of work. Now, you're obviously someone who's only relatively recently called time in your, your playing career. Um, at what point during your career did you start thinking about what you might do afterwards? To be honest, um, I made a conscious decision about five years before I actually stopped playing that I wanted to go through the process of doing the, the B licence, A licence, Pro licence and trying to get some experience of that while playing and, and that's where obviously I came into contact with Mark the final two years really helped me prepare for that transition and when it come to it I think it was the right time to stop because enjoying the coaching more than the actual playing but I was playing kind of because I had to but <laughs> I enjoyed the, the coaching a lot more. We, we've spoken to people in this series whose careers were flying one day and it ended the next how sort of fortunate do you feel that you've You've, you've been able to find that path while still playing that, that you want to go down? Yeah, I'd say fortunate, but also careful planning, being guided by senior people that have been through it, good and bad case studies, you know, of a good transition or bad transition, careers cut early. So it was something that I was very aware of. And then, um, but again, along, the, along that token, you need people there to help guide and support and give some clarity also to what you want to do because whether uh, you like it or not, it is a, a period of turmoil, you know, and it is uncertain at times. But again, having a bit of a plan and having people you could pick the phone up to is always helpful. Yeah, how how big to have those those people to lean on because it, it just can be such a, a tough transition when such a big part of your identity, a bit being a player, comes to an end. Oh, massive. And you'd be foolish not to tap into people that have been in the industry for many, many years, which is why I found Mark. And I met Mark, I think it was five, six years before that, at a mock interview at Portsmouth. And then we stayed in contact. And then, um, you know, Mark was openly guiding me, mentoring me from a distance. And um, a lot of the stuff we discussed, to be fair, we put into practice and had a real good good team and a lot of it now I'm, I'm also using in my in my new role here which you can only help transfer some of that knowledge from Mark to me to some of these lads because he knows the club very very well. How big a transition is it going to be for you going from being a, a manager out in the Far East to, to coming back as, a, as an under 18 coach for, for Portsmouth? I'm actually really excited about it to be honest you know because the management side first team coaching side was a good experience but it, it, it wasn't as exciting for me as seeing players develop, as seeing people reaching their personal targets and 
improving, whether it's an individual, as a partnership, as a unit. So I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually excited. I've prepared for to be culture and the development side of it. So that transition hopefully will continue to be smooth. What, what do you learn from the different dressing rooms in all the different countries you've been in? How different does the, the football culture feel from, from place to place? One thing in the dressing room, what I found is ultimately it comes down to winning the respect, the trust of your teammates. That could be in Thailand, Malaysia, Hong Kong, League One, League Two, Premier League. The bottom line is it's about your performances. It's about winning people over. If you've been written off, it's about reacting well. If you've had a bit of success, it's about staying humble. You know, if you've got more knowledge than others, about sharing. So all these kind of things you learn. Um, but ultimately, there's an there's a underlying theme, which is the same. It's about people. If you're prepared to adapt and embrace and learn from other people as well, then, then you can't go far wrong. Who are some of the key people that you've, you've learned from in your career? There's, um, I think I had a really, really good dressing room in my breakthrough season at Fulham when I got into the side from the Premier League. People like Andy Cole, um, Brian McBride, Adrid van der Sar, Louis Balmorte, uh, Louis Sahar, some real, real top, top professionals that carried themselves in a the proper manner. You know, if you looked at them, you, you want to be like them because they were living the standards on a daily basis away from football. You know, I've got some, some senior mentors that I've been in touch with since the age of 16, 17. And then now the last two, three years, Mark, who's on this call, has been really helpful for me, not just on the football side of it, but obviously looking at the transition also. And, and look, you're obviously always going to be looked at as a, <coughs> as a pioneer for, for British Asians. Do, do you feel football is hopefully slowly moving to being a, a, a more inclusive place? Um, well, I think ultimately you have to win people over. So it doesn't matter where you're from. It's irrelevant, actually. It's totally irrelevant. You need to, you need to earn the respect, whether you want to be a coach, manager, player, scout, analyst, psychologist, whatever role in the game you're aiming for, it's about the best person for the job. Okay, so if you don't get that job because of you haven't quite got the tools for the job, that doesn't mean because of your background you didn't get that job. So it's about being the best that you can be and then keep working hard and, and not ever using your background as an excuse. And, and I certainly didn't do that and I wouldn't encourage other people to do that. It sounds from speaking to you that that fire kind of still burns inside you for, for constant improvement that it, it probably had to as a, as a teenager trying to make your way in the game. Yeah, I think it's, it comes down to having a vision, um, projecting it on the wall. I've just ripped everything off the wall because you wanted a plain background. But uh, you have to have that vision and you've got to work towards it every day. So I did that pretty much from leaving school at 16 to hanging them up now at 38. That clear goals that you aim for. Obviously, the setbacks will come along the way. So now it's a new chapter, you know, and starting in a new role and it starts again. So it's a new journey now. You know, for me, the playing side of it is done. There's a lid on it and I very rarely talk about it unless I think can help inspire someone that I'm working with or help them overcome a, a certain challenge they might have other than that you know I'm pretty much trying to be in the moment and also looking ahead a little bit is that something you kind of learned as you went as a manager not you know you, you can't obviously times as a player manager but but not talking so much about y yourself and, and and having to go was that kind of something that was always obvious when you made that step into coaching 
I think sometimes you learn the hard way. So in my first season, before I started to work with Mark, I was probably guilty of trying to impress the players rather than empower them. What I mean that you're getting too technical with the information and because you know certain tactics and systems and you might have played at a certain level. But what I really liked about the second season we worked together with Mark, we just we stripped it right back to the very, very basics, kept it simple, kept it manageable, digestible. And then that, that's really helped, just gave real clarity to everything we were doing. So I think it's about empowering, not impressing. I guess the old school football dressing room, though, is the, the thought of the, that manager shouting his head off and shouting himself red at, at, at players for, for not doing it. And that feels totally different to, to empowering people. Well, it's, it'll have its place and it'll, it'll happen up and down dressing rooms. When a new season starts at all levels, I have no doubt about that. Um, but not everybody responds to that. You know, you need to know the individuals within your group. And to do that, you need to take time to get to know them. You know, that might fire somebody up to perform well, or that might tip someone over the edge to get a red card in another dressing room. So it depends on the relationship between the manager or coach and that player. Um, but I don't think it's a bad thing, you know, and again, to, to drill home on discipline and, and your standards that you want. But obviously, there's a way, a time and a place how to do it. You mentioned communication, em empowering. How did you overcome the, the language barrier and the, the likes of when you're in Malaysia and, and, and in Hong Kong and such like? Well, first you struggle, to be honest. You know, my first move to Thailand, middle of a back four, trying to keep clean sheets we're conceding goals for fun because i'm saying get up they're going back go left they're going right you know so you have to again you have to be prepared to embrace the culture that you're in so i started to learn a few words to become conversational or at least be able to interact and then what that does it gives you the respect of the local people because they they see you're making an effort and then once you get a little bit of confidence to speak the language or a few words, you, you try to maintain that when you move. So when I moved to Malaysia and Hong Kong, again, but um, Malaysia and Hong Kong, I was quite fortunate because they were British colonies. So English was really well spoken there, to be fair. But Thailand, a country that's never been colonized. So it wasn't about me imposing English, it was about me learning Thai. So again, cultural awareness is really important. And I guess, but that cultural awareness you, you bring from abroad is, is still something that will, will help you in good stead coaching youngsters over in England as well. Yeah, because you have young players from different backgrounds, mixed backgrounds, you know, and uh, the family dynamics are not always two parents or two parents living together. So there's a, there's a lot of in-depth you need to go to get to know the person, which it all comes back to. Then if you can find out a little bit more about where they're from and their upbringing and what challenges they might have had or major events in their life, all these kind of things help you to get a deeper understanding of, of who you're working with. But I think in any culture, it boils down to being interested in the person, genuinely interested to find out about them. Do you think it's possible to coach people without getting that understanding of who they are? It's possible, but is it helpful or to the relationship long-term? Possibly not. I think it would be more helpful if you get to know them first because then they, will, then they know that you care and they trust you and then, then you can help coach them and possibly transform them. But I think it's, it's a coaching mistake possibly from an early, early days perspective. You go straight into the technical, tactical points without actually 
first working out are they feeling all right did they sleep well did they travel in okay all that all that kind of stuff your your playing career as we've discussed was a, a kind of fascinating journey in your coaching career you've got a plan where you want to be in 10 years or is it going to be see where life takes you like the the playing career was well, I think you have to set goals and dreams and targets. And ultimately, I think the, the pinnacle of the game is the Premier League. So at some point in the distant future, I'd like to be coaching at that level. But every journey has a first step. You know, my first inroads into coaching were in Hong Kong. The second step's here. And I'm not in any rush to leave development football, to be honest, because I really feel passionate about that. What, what, what is it that you feel so passionate about, about development football? just seeing people maximise their potential, improve and then develop and recover from a setback and actually realise that they can get better and it comes down to investing, committing in themselves and, and that kind of stuff. So it's more exciting for me to see that because I, I know how powerful it can be when somebody mentors you and teaches you how to kind of overcome challenges yourself. It can change your life. So if we can change one or two of these young boys' life in a positive way, then you know, that's a big success. Where do you think your personal resilience came about in, in your career and your journey? I think um, events that take place that you have no control of and then you, know, you want to make yourself in a position next time where it doesn't happen. So for instance, if you get released from a young age, which can happen, and you bounce back and think, right, what do I need to do so it doesn't happen again? But I think resilience is a very interesting word for me. Where does that come from? I think you have to have a setback, you recover. Setback, recover. So it's like a, a process of acute stress and a recovery. And ultimately, you become more resilient to, to things that can happen. And particularly in football, it feels like you, you need that. You know, maybe the Messi's and Ronaldo sail through, but, but not really anybody else does. There's always going to be those ups and downs. Yeah, you need that. I think uh, mental health now is a massive part of the game, which has been highlighted in recent years. I think it's really important to realise that you're more than just a football player. You know, you could be a dad, a brother, an uncle, a husband, a son, a friend, a mentor. So if you break it down, you're a lot more. So that shouldn't define your identity. And I think the more conversations I've had with Mark and people that have retired or stopped playing, that's the message that kind of drills home early on. You know, life goes on and you're more than, than just football. Football is just one aspect of your life. And, and is that something you, you always had or was it come in your, your, your 20s, your 30s? When did you kind of pick up on, on that? I would say mid-30s because from leaving school till probably early 30s, I'm absolutely obsessed. Still obsessed with football, but just a bit more balanced now, you know, because you have kids and you have a broader perspective on life and you realize well things are not going great but you know it'll go it's not the end of the world something else will come another opportunity will happen you can recover so i think it's when you're young and you're single as well i guess it's like the be all and end all but as you mature with time and surround yourself with people that have been through it i think it's really important to surround yourself with older people that kind of been on your journey before then it helps. And obviously you have to listen and take on board what's said. And realise, I guess, what all footballers have to, to go through, there's more to Zesh the person than just Zesh the footballer. Yeah, 100%. If you see me in my kind of working environment and me away from there, 
you're like two different people you'd probably think i need a bit of help but it's totally you know it's totally that you can't just switch off i think anyone that's worked in football i wouldn't believe if they say they can come home and just switch off i think it's impossible but it's about trying to get um full connection with your missus and your kids when you have that time it could be limited time which i'm learning now longer days but it's about connecting even if it's for three hours four hours you know, rather than trying to spend equal time, because if you're a football person, you're a football person, you, you're, you're interested in other leagues and games and you know, you've always got your eye on the industry. I think it's impossible to just switch off, but trying to balance it as much as you can. Zesh, the final question, we've been putting people on the spot and asking what's the one bit of advice or one bit of knowledge you wish you could have had as an 18 year old? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. I think it will be just get them most out of every single day. You know, don't but but live day to day, day by day, and then you need to fully commit, commit to whatever you decide to do. So commit to whatever you decide to do day by day, and and then be relentless with it. That's probably three bits of advice, but all along those lines. Yes, this been fascinating to talk and, and hear your journey and we massively thank you for for joining myself and mark on the behind the mask podcast make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from so you make sure you don't ever miss an episode with more thrilling chats coming soon as we dive into the beautiful game and under the beautiful game and learn more about those involved the people behind them and the ups and the downs and the challenges and strengths they need to overcome the challenges Thank you very much for listening and a big thanks to Zesh for joining myself and Mark. Thank you.